0: Hi, and welcome to the Fem Factor Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Dr. Laura and Dr. Nicole.
1: This is a place for women just like you desiring to learn, be inspired and find community. We'll be discussing everything from health, longevity and aging to mindset, high performance and cycle syncing to intuition and healing physically, emotionally and spiritually
0: all from a lens that is based both upon the latest health research and feminine energetics blending equal parts scientific evidence and inner wisdom we invite you to elevate your biology empower your intuition and embody your magic welcome back to another episode of the fem factor podcast nicole and i are super pumped today to bring on jay edder she is a board-certified physician's assistant. She has run a very successful gut health consulting company and is, of course, the owner of her newest venture, Microbiome University, which is all about you know, teaching clinicians and practitioners out there how to effectively design gut protocols and help people with their gut health. So she is literally the gut health queen. Jade, we are so excited to have you here today. I have a whole list of questions and just welcome to the show. Thank you. Again, like I said, just so honored to be here.
1: I feel like gut health is, I mean, I, and and Laura too, probably I have been interested in gut health. Like I started taking probiotics probably 25 years ago, which nobody was he- heard of those, but it was from some, you know, woman who was a little bit crunchy at the health food store and, and they changed my life. And now just to see so many books, so much research, I, out of my doctorate program, um, a woman just came out studying, I think it was a, the intersection of, like like your microbiome, cancer, and exercise. So there's like so much really interesting, important evidence coming out. And I'm really excited to hear like what you have to say about this. And in particular for me, I'm going to be a little selfish um, for women in midlife as it pertains to hormones. And I'm sure Laura's is going to bring this up too, just because of her whole, you know, interest in hormones as well, but um, we are just so excited to have you here and and learn all about you. Well, I
2: would love to dive into that topic because I get asked so often about prebiotics versus probiotics and what should I be taking? And my answer to that is there is not a one size fits all approach. Um, And if someone is encouraging you to take something because everyone else is taking it, you should run in the opposite direction. Um, your unique microbiome is determined in the first one to three years of life based on your specific circumstances. So a lot of that comes from vaginal seeding from the mother. It comes from maternal skin to skin contact, and that can be from paternal too. So anyone that you're really coming into contact with, you know, Kids are kind of dirty. You know, you touch the soil and then you put it in your mouth, right? We pick things up. That is all seeding and colonizing your unique microbiome. So you have a unique blueprint that does not look like anybody else's blueprint. So a probiotic that might make you feel really good and help your ecosystem thrive will sometimes do the exact opposite. This is why your friend can say, hey, I feel so great on this probiotic. You should go try it. And it does absolutely nothing for you. And this is really where I think personalized and customized protocols comes into the conversation because once we actually have some objective data and we know what your unique microbiome looks like, then we can talk about what are some targeted protocols that we can utilize that would then take your health to the next level. So I don't think the one size fits all approach is really appropriate. And I really think it just leads to a waste of money. Sometimes adverse effects too. I've seen other. I've seen women swing the other direction where they come to me and say, "I feel horrible and I can't get back on track now that you know someone on the internet was recommending me to take this and I took it and now I am a disaster."
0: <laughs> that was actually my first experience with a probiotic. It was like before I really got into health and wellness, I was in college. It's like, oh, this seems like it would be a good idea. It made me feel terrible. I was bloated, like total mess. And then, of course you know, I found functional medicine, not, not too long afterwards and kind of realized that was a, a whoopsie, but um, you have such a lovely way of explaining this and helping people really understand just how personalized an approach to gut health is. So all of these kind of cookie cutter protocols and you know gut supplements out there like you really have to think about your own unique situation and what's going on in your body along the way. So I want to come I want to come back to what you mentioned around testing to break that down a little bit, but first I want to just talk a little bit more about you because obviously anyone could tell from that opening intro you are so passionate about this topic, you're so well versed on it. Um, Is this the area that you always knew you wanted to study or it's just something that personal experience drew you to like share with us a little bit more about what brought you here to educating people about their gut so much.
2: Yeah, my story is a little bit unique, I would say if I went back to childhood and you asked me, what did I want to be or do when I grow up I would say, I want to be a teacher. And it's funny how everything has come full circle because now I do teach practitioners, but about gut health. And it wasn't till about the age of um, 13, 14 that I really knew like I wanted to do something that had to do with medicine and also had to do with gut health. I had sustained childhood trauma from a death. And that trauma kind of carried through with me through childhood in those developmental years. And I developed a lot of gut dysfunction secondary to that. And we know that there's a huge connection between nervous system and gut disre- or nervous system dysregulation and gut dysfunction. And so just like, you know, the 40 other million Americans in the United States is struggling with IBS, I went through the whole runaround of the CT scans, the blood work, you know, being failed by the conventional system, being told that's just in your head, you just have anxiety. So I knew I really wanted to change the narrative around that. So it was very clear to me early on that medicine was where I was going to be headed. Um, So I ended up going, I got my bachelor's degree, went back, got my master's degree, um, was practicing as a physician assistant. I had already had a job in gastroenterology and hepatology before I even graduated. Like that's how much I knew what I wanted to do. And I was really, really well connected in my hometown um, but it, it didn't take me too long to realize that I um, actually wasn't able to serve people to the highest capacity in that model, and I felt really burnt out very quickly. Of you know, the system of 15 minute appointments, not being able to really dive into what's what's actually at the root of why people are struggling with gut dysfunction. It's a very complex topic because it's so interconnected, right? Like our gut crosstalks with the immune system. Um, hormones, all of it. So wh- during that time too, when I was feeling burnt out, then I was ended up, my IBS had been kind of trans, correl- I, don't, I guess you would just say things just got worse. I was more stressed, right? Like life happens. And then I ended up getting diagnosed with autoimmunity, which we know is a common cascade for a lot of women. They start with IBS, that dysfunction, then intestinal permeability, immune system gets kind of fired and then autoimmunity happens. So then I kind of went on this self-discovery journey of I'm going to heal myself naturally. I'm going to get off of all of these meds. I'm going to do what everyone is telling me is impossible. And within two and a half years, I did it. And I put myself into remission naturally to the disbelief of all of my colleagues because um, they were all like, "You, that's not possible. You can't do it. And I'm like, watch me. I'm going to show you I can do it. So then once I did it, I thought I can replicate this for other women. So then I started serving other women. And within a year I had worked with clients in 20 states across America in four countries. And I was replicating the same results over and over and over again. And um, I was out at a conference last year and all these practitioners started coming up to me like, will you mentor me? Will you teach me how to get the results that you're getting? Like I'm just running up against a wall. And that was, I think, the light bulb moment for me where I was like, yes, I've replicated this so many times that I can teach you how to do this. And that then turned into my second company. Um, And one of the aspects of that company is mentorship. But the other part is Microbiome University, which you had mentioned earlier, is a place where um, I mentor practitioners. How do we interpret testing? How do we look at our clients and create customized protocols unique to them? And uh, that's kind of where the journey ends and begins at the same time
1: for me right now. <laughs> wow. So when, if, and if I missed it, I'm sorry, but what really like directed you into looking more at functional medicine and testing in that way, because you were so in this model, medical model, gastroenterology, I'm sure they were, you know pushing. For IBS, all the different meds and things like that. Was, was there someone specific, another practitioner, or did you just happen to go down like a Google rabbit hole and come upon functional medicine, or you saw a little bit and then you're like, Oh, I'm going to go get, um, you know, get training and specialize in gut health via functional medicine. Or how, how did that look?
2: I was desperate. That's what that looked like. Um, I was so unwell I can, I can picture it in my head so clearly. I was sitting at my desk taking virtual consults in GI, and I'm talking to people about their chronic diarrhea. Meanwhile, I'm hooked up to an IV pole that's out of the view because I was so dehydrated from being sick and not being, I had an eight in days. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm on high dose steroids. I'm on immunosuppressive drugs. I'm requiring two bags of IV fluids to keep myself running. And this is supposed to be my reality for the rest of my life. And up until this point, like I was a collegiate athlete. Like I'm healthy, I'm very like conscientious. At that point, again, did not know that nervous system dysfunction could drive such gut dysfunction. But um, yeah, so I started looking into other options. Like what else is out there? There's gotta be something. And I started diving into the research realizing there was a huge connection between ibd and the foods that we were consuming and i'll never forget um one of the colleagues the physicians that i was working with at the time i went into his office and i knocked on the door and i'm like hey what do you think about like diet being the cause for ibd and he was like there is no cause like that's like i mean yeah you could try it maybe it'll help but it's not going to fix your problem and I'm the type of person where like, if somebody tells me that I can't do it, I'm kind of like, okay, watch me. And do you want to give me a timeline? <laughs> so for me, that was like mission accepted. And so once I started, I started reading books and uh, then that led me down the rabbit hole. Then I started looking into grounding and then you can just see the, the cascade just kind of kept going and going. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All such, all such important components. And like, what I, I love about your explanation is you're showcasing how multifaceted this is, right? Like I think a lot of people who maybe aren't familiar with functional integrative medicine, maybe aren't familiar with nutrition, something goes on with their gut. They're kind of like, Oh, okay. I have to take this medication for it. Right? Like I have diarrhea. Let me take this. So it stops. Oh, I'm constipated. Let me take something. So it goes, and this is kind of, that's the solution. And it, it it's, it's so much more complex than that. It's the nutrition, it's movement, it's, stress. It's our response to stress. It's that nervous system. It's the terrain we already have in our gut. So of course we could spend time diving into all of these, but I want to go back to what you mentioned earlier about how you can use some of this testing. You know, we were having this conversation around probiotics to figure out what probiotics you might actually need, but let's break down testing a little bit because I think there's A lot of misinformation around testing out there. There's a lot of practitioners telling people that gut testing is pointless. Mm -hmm. Um, yet here are practitioners like you changing people's lives day after day with functional gut testing. So can you just break it down a little bit for us and kind of talk about what it's looking at and how it helps to really personalize these approaches?
2: Yeah. one of the things I was thinking as you were talking was, um, I always used to tell clients, like, you don't have a Miralax deficiency. Like, you weren't <laughs> born with, like, you know, Miralax in your body and, like, you're deficient. Like, us relying on Miralax is really just a temporary solution or Band-Aid. And I say temporarily loosely because people then maintain that for years on end. And I'm like, why wouldn't you want to uncover the real reason why this is occurring for you so that you don't have to rely on these drugs, Um, But yeah, I would love to talk about testing. Um, You go to your conventional doctor and you don't feel well, and what do they do? What are blood work, right? Or then they say, well, I don't know, I don't have x-ray vision, so maybe we should get a scan. It's the same idea when it comes to gut dysfunction, right? We can't just look at somebody and know what is happening inside of their digestive tract. We need objective data. So even if you go to the conventional doctor, they might order a stool test on you. And they're going to try to look for, do you have white blood cells in your stool? Do you have inflammation that's present? Do you have parasites? Are there bacteria present that we can put you on an antibiotic for? But what functional medicine testing does is takes that even a step further and says, okay, instead of looking at these broad markers, What we're going to do is take the research that we've done around specific bacteria in the gut, and we're going to try to look and isolate different strains of bacteria in your stool. So what it's doing is it's looking to identify what does your unique microbiome look like? What bacteria do you have present? What viruses, parasites do you have present F- fungi? And then on the flip side of that, it also looks at these intestinal health markers, but it takes it an even like a step further and tells us about the functionality, right? Like how is your digestive tract functioning? And functional medicine or this like more personalized testing isn't just a... a Quantitative, so it's not just a black or white. I I want to be careful using like these big terms, right? So I want to make this relatable. It's not just a yes, it's positive or no, it's not. It's actually giving us numbers, so it's telling us on a scale where do you fall, and that is really valuable because that's when we start then having those conversations about what type of probiotics should we bring on here, what do we need to, what do we need to use supplementation for to drive the needle, and what could we just lean on food for. And that really comes down to like a numbers game and what your unique microbiome looks like.
1: Mm, so important. And um, I want to say our listeners are pretty smart, so you can use okay. the big words, okay. but <laughs> I like how you broke it down as well. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> <Being held into laughs> both. So shout out to all you listening. you <laughs> Brilliant mind you. Um, and, yeah. And so when you start with testing, mm-hmm. And then you get results back. How how do you even begin to kind of navigate that? And especially with the client or patient, because I'm sure a lot of times it could just be overwhelming, not necessarily to you because you know what you're looking at and protocols and all that. But for someone who's getting this news, who might be really kind of, you know, set in their ways, who maybe they're not supposed to eat, get, eat certain things anymore, but they're like, I've done this my entire life. And now you're saying what to not do that. You know, asking for a friend, but because I've had people that tell me this, you know, like, there's no way I'm giving that up. And I'm like, well, okay. You know, I'm just the messenger. This is your data. Um, so I'm wondering like how, you are, um, able to guide and help probably handhold a lot of times, maybe even have to like give a shake a little, Yeah, was <laughs> everyone just like perfectly, you know, easygoing and let's do this and just tell me, tell me what I need to do and, and does it.
2: Yeah. Well, change requires change. And I think that's why, there is a big difference between the approach that conventional medicine takes versus that of functional medicine. When we're talking about which is easier or which has more, more um, what's the word I'm looking for? Compliance, conventional medicine, a thousand percent. It's a lot easier to wake up in the morning and take a pill and wipe your hands. But for a lot of those people, the reality is they take the pill and they still don't feel better. So they're still stuck in this negative feedback loop that then just results in needing more. On the functional medicine side, it change requires change. So if you're saying, I don't want to take a supplement every day, then you have to understand that that vibrates with a repercussion that instead of not taking the supplement, then you're constantly on this mindful healing journey of being aware of your surroundings, being aware of the toxins and what you're putting into your body and making sure that you're minimizing stress and you're focusing on these things. So I always tell, I always make that, make sure that the expectation is very clear. And us as practitioners and clinicians, it is not our job to um, convince. It's not our job to um, force this is not a dictatorship, it is a partnership. And so what I am doing in my role, what I did as a consultant and now what I teach practitioners is, your job is to be educated enough to be able to sit down with a person, get to know their history, understand what has happened in their life that could be potentially driving the dysfunction, and then look at their testing and figure out how does it correlate. You become the detective that finally connects the dots for these people. And you're the first person maybe ever in their life that's finally said, oh, this thing that happened to you at six years old could actually be impacting and driving this symptom that you're having right now. So your job is to be the bridge. The clinician's job is to be the bridge that connects the two and then offers the solution, the natural alternative solution. We don't shame people for saying, if it, if it's best for you right now, to take this medicine, but we're just providing people with an alternative solution and and guiding them along the way. And I do want to be very clear that I do believe that there is a place for conventional medicine. You know, if I am extremely sick, I want to go to the hospital, right? We have a beautiful healthcare system for acute care here in the United States. So there is a place for both of them. I don't think we should be shaming or forcing one way versus the other. We should just be educating and letting people make their own educated decisions.
0: That was so beautifully said. I'll start with that last part and then go back. I think that's true. I think there is a, there's a tendency on, I mean, I hate even calling them sides, sides of healthcare, like pitting them against each other, conventional versus integrative. And I think even the terms get confusing because that term integrative is meant to consider all options. It considers functional, it considers CAM therapies, it considers conventional options to do what's in the best interest of a given human right mm-hmm. what that person means and i i love kind of what you said about what a clinician's job is is it's not your job to convince someone to do something to make them do it like it's to really connect the dots for them and guide them and show them there's another way to kind of get rid of this cycle of symptoms but ultimately the person across the table like and we, all three of us sitting here have all been patients for illness before. Like yeah. we have to be the ones brave enough to take action. And yeah. like you said, change, change requires change. And I, mm-hmm. something that you brought up a couple of times that I'm I'm glad you mentioned is talking about the nervous system, talking about mm-hmm. trauma. I think more and more people are becoming a little more trauma-informed and understanding just how relevant it is to a lot of chronic illness But nervous system regulation, I feel like is another one of those things. That's just a hot topic on the internet right now. Like everyone's talking about regulating your nervous system, but someone like you, who I, I think truly understands what that is. I would love to hear like just a quick explanation of what you think that means.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a, I believe when I say nervous system dysfunction, it's the way that the inputs coming into the system, how your brain is interpreting that sending the signals, and then how that drives the function, the biology, right? And when I talk about like trauma, we know that trauma in the developmental years can significantly change the way that we have responses in the body, right? So when input comes in from the outside world, like from our senses, our body is scanning what is coming in based on our past experiences. And so you can have something that have happened to you 20, 30 years ago, and we see this a lot in like in PTSD from in soldiers, is when that signal comes in, the brainstem, there's like a hierarchy of how the body interprets. So that signal can come in, the brainstem is activated, neuroimmunology then kind of kicks on. And the stress hormones are activated. So like that is then when the brain decides, okay, is this a a sympathetic or a parasympathetic state that I need to be in? So when that's happening, when our body is, when the senses, when it's coming in and our body, our mind is trying to figure out based on the past, is this safe or not? That will shut down the cortex. So you can't access your higher thinking in that moment. This is like, this is happening automatically without you being able to control it this is why people who have like extreme bouts of anxiety or dissociation or shutdown before they even realize what is happening the conscious thinking mind cannot identify like oh this is something that happened 30 years ago like we're safe now everything is good so if you don't focus on your traumas if you don't focus on neuroplasticity and rewiring the way that you're perceiving those traumas coming in you immediately are kicking out stress hormones like cortisol right? So we know then that's going to start like dysregulating the hormones can throw off the circadian rhythm, especially if like those evocative cues are coming in, like later on in the evening, Sense can throw people off. But even then from a gut standpoint, when you're kicking out a lot of cortisol, it's going to start shutting down digestion. So then you got people trying to eat when their digestion is shutting down and they're diverting blood out to the peripherals because they're thinking like, it's time to run away. I'm in fight or flight. Well, digestion is slowing. They're starting to bloat. Then they're getting excessive fermentation that's happening. Overgrowth is developing because the pH is starting to change. And when we kick out a lot of cortisol, because we have these cues happening over and over, and sometimes it's happening and you're not even realizing it's happening, your blood sugar goes out of control. And then that's a, a whole nother topic. <laughs> so you can see how, I think people, when they, they loosely, you're right, Laura, they say loosely like nervous system Dysfunction, and I think they think that just means people are stressed. And yeah, superficially, it does mean that they're stressed, but there is a whole kind of subset of like what is happening from a brain standpoint and how the signals are being sent and what chemicals are being released that's then resulting in the stress response that then is driving the dysfunction. So it's not good enough to just say, you need to go meditate. Like that's really not going to help anyone. I mean, I mean, in the moment, but like, that's not actually rewiring the root cause driving the dysfunction.
1: So we've talked a lot about this relationship between nervous system, dysregulation and gut dysfunction. And so far it seems like we've, been talking about it in a way where it's um unidirectional, like the nervous system has a big effect on mm-hmm. the gut. Um, what are your thoughts on that relationship being bi-directional, where the gut actually has a big impact on nervous system regulation? Or do you?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, we absolutely know that to be true. So, yes, there is bidirectional communication that happens. A lot of the inputs are coming down because we are having so many interactions and experiences throughout the day. So, as I said earlier, you know, when we're interacting with our environment and the senses that's kicking on the brain and then that's what's kind of sending the signal down but the same is true for for the reverse. And we know that there are a lot of neurotransmitters that are made within the digestive tract and that is also dependent on the unique bacteria that you have in your unique microbiome but also dependent on the foods that you're putting in as well. You have to give those bacteria the foods that they actually need to make those neurotransmitters to be able to send that signal and elicit that signal back up. But here's a great example. We know that those who have sustained stress, like prolonged stress, okay? So I'm not talking about just like an acute incident, prolonged stress, like periods of grieving or trauma, anything like that, We know that those who have nervous system dysfunction driven by that are actually more sensitive to cues in the gut than someone who has not sustained trauma. So there have actually been where like they've looked, this is actually called, um, and it just left my mind, but it's gonna come back in just a second. Um, But it's essentially, um, oh my gosh. I'm having like one of those brain fart moments, you know, where you're like, you're trying to pull it from your brain and it's just not coming. Um, but oh, it's this, not me
0: for one. Sometimes. Yeah.
2: Okay. Visceral <laughs> hypersensitivity. I knew it was going to come to me eventually, but we have a lot of nerves that innervate the digestive system and the abdominal region. And what they found was those that actually are labeled with IBS, that's more so driven from like trauma or from this nervous system standpoint they will actually perceive the distension of their abdomen to a heightened degree than somebody who has not sustained that trauma. But when they look at the amount of off-gassing, they have the same amount of fermentation and off-gassing. So it goes to show you that if the nervous system is in this hyper arousal sensitive state, you're perceiving that like things are not okay when that's actually not so much the case. Some bloating is normal, okay? That's a normal part of digestion, but somebody who's hyper aroused will perceive that as being abnormal, right? And then that stress kind of feeds into that feedback loop and then that can spiral.
0: That's such a great point. And I'm, I'm listening to you explain all this and I'm like, wow, somebody who is listening to this conversation could be thinking one of two ways. They could be thinking like, wow, the body's really complex. This is all complicated. I'm just not gonna worry about it. Or they could think, wow, the body is amazing and so complex and look at the power I have over it by my nutritional choices, by my lifestyle choices, by choosing to work and respond to things differently, That things that were no fault of our own that it happened to us, but it is our responsibility to try and heal from that. And... Oh, now it's my turn. I'm having one of those, those brain fart moments because I was just going to go somewhere. It, oh, that last I passed part. It on. I'm going to have to do so much editing of this later. Um, That last part, talking about the perception of bloating, I think I think this one is a really important topic for women in particular because I found as a clinician, like I have to ask a lot of questions when women tell me they feel bloated all the time because there's this perception sometimes that you know that super flat stomach that you wake up with in the morning mm-hmm. that it's supposed to continue to look like that all day long and like of course like you said there's degrees of this right like some bloating is going to happen there's going to be some expansion and contraction throughout the day depending on what you just put in your stomach how much water you're drinking like all of these other things but you know, it, it doesn't always look like these photos we see on Instagram of like a perfectly flat, dehydrated six-pack. Like that's not that's yeah. not always our how it looks throughout the day. So right. that is that is so fascinating about you know that perception sensitivity uh as related to trauma to the nervous system. Um, I'm really glad you brought that up. I think that's gonna pique a lot of people's interest. So you know, we're talking about gut, nervous system. We've brought up stress a couple of times. Because we're so passionate on the Fem Factor about women's health in general, we also tend to talk a lot about hormones. So I know that's going to be the next question that people are going to ask is, okay, if this is related to stress and my nervous system and everything else, Like, where do my hormones come into play? Because that's always, you know, a lot of us in our late thirties, forties and beyond, like hormones are on our mind. There's things happening. So you know, whether we talk about stress hormones or, you know, sex hormones, things like estrogen, progesterone, like where, where is this coming in the connecting piece? Because it seems like everything in the body is always communicating, but can our gut microbiomes impact our hormones? Can our hormones affect the composition of our gut microbiome? What are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, the answer is yes to both of those. We know that estrogen and progesterone will affect digestion differently, speeding up, slowing down the motility, the way that the food is actually moving through the digestive tract. When everything is in it has homeostasis and we're in balance, that fluctuates perfectly and the body is adaptable to that, right? And so we should be able to continue moving our bowels without any issues. But We do know that women who tend to... Hold a little bit more estrogen, tend to be on more like estrogen dominant side. They have more of a surge of progesterone right around the cycle, and that surge of progesterone can cause diarrhea. So, there are some women who will notice that motility really speeds up. They have a lot of contraction happening down in the sigmoid colon, and they will then have loose stools. So that can be kind of normal per se, but it's not normal because it's driven by like this dysfunction that's kind of underlying. So yeah, sex hormones can definitely affect the way that the the digestive tract functions, but the opposite is true as well. So there's what's called the estrobilone, which is in the gut, these specific bacteria, bacterial strains, um, that they produce this enzyme called beta glucuronidase and beta glucuronidase is responsible for well many functions in the body, but one of them being estrogen metabolism. And so the liver will nicely package estrogen and push it into the digestive tract to be eliminated in a bowel movement. But if you have overgrowth of these bacteria and you're kicking out a lot of beta glucuronidase, what happens is that package that's set to be excreted in a bowel movement gets decoupled and it gets broken down. The estrogen is now in free form and it gets absorbed back across the lining into circulation and right back up to the liver. And this is why we are seeing that with time and the more industrialization of our food, the more stress that we have in this fast paced life, we're starting to get more breakdown of the gut lining. We're seeing more inflammatory bacteria in the gut which then means more beta glucuronidase, more estrogen in the system. This is why breast cancer is on the rise. Endometriosis is like a more common finding. There's also correlation between that and colon cancer. So yeah, it's it's all tightly connected. And I would say also to that, what drives both gut dysfunction and hormonal imbalance in, in my opinion is inflammation being one of them. Right. And there's, again, a lot of root causes for why that occurs, but the women that have come to me with infertility that I have helped get pregnant, it's all been about focusing on rebalancing the digestive tract and reducing the inflammatory load. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah.
1: So I have a question about the other end more along the lines when women are going through perimenopause and may, and then into menopause where they're not estrogen dominant anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering because the estrobilum has such an impact on estrogen and I could be wrong, but I think I even read that it helps, they do pr- produce some estrogen like our gut does produce some estrogen through the Mm -hmm. system Is that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I'm wondering, like, is it, could it be enough that if we are really taking care of our gut health and keeping that at a high level of function as we're going through perimenopause, or maybe even once tipped over into menopause where our ovaries are no longer producing estrogen, is it possible? Not that our gut's going to produce tons of estrogen at the same level, but is it possible that that could have a, a a beneficial impact on someone going through this change in later life than maybe someone who wasn't taking care of their gut
2: specifically well,
1: just... in that estrogen question?
2: Yeah, sure. So this would be my opinion and my perception, but the answer that for me would be yes absolutely because we know that a lot of just yes the answer is yes (laughs) i do think that if you focus on your gut health you focus on optimizing those key areas of your life optimizing your nutrition giving the gut bacteria the the fuel that they actually need to secure the borders in your digestive tract then you will reap the benefits of that in every other aspect from your immune system to your hormone health and that being sex hormones and then also stress hormones. Thyroid also kind of falls in there and plays a role. You have to think about it that your digestive tract is what delineates your internal and external environment. What you put in your mouth and we have to eat to survive, what you put in your mouth is external world. And it is your digestive tract, your digestive tract's responsibility to determine what should come into the internal environment and what should not. And that requires your digestive tract being hyper aware, your immune system being responsive, and us also having a very tight regulated defense system. And when we have a lot of stress and a lot of toxins and we're eating industrialized foods that are sprayed with, you know, glyphosate, which we know is breaking down the the defenses in the digestive tract, you leave yourself susceptible, which means then your immune system becomes activated. This is why autoimmunity is such a big issue. We start translocating a lot of toxins and uh, bacteria, food particles. This is why food sensitivity is an issue. So... If you really focus on all of these factors that maintain good balance in the digestive tract, then you your body will be able to differentiate what is friend and what is foe and what should come in and what should
1: not. Yeah, this is so fascinating. Laura, you know, used that same word, and I was thinking that fascinating is just the perfect word because when I remember when I first read maybe two years ago about this strabaloma, my mind was blown. I was just like, what? You know, because <laughs> you talk about gotten serotonin and other like neurotransmitters, but I had never really even known that it affected estrogen. And um, I'm just so excited to see what new research is going to bring about. Mm-hmm. And there's one, and when we talk about gut health, I always bring up this paper that I read, um, it's a couple of years old, but it's called the Nutrition Microbiome Tango. I forget which journal it was in, but that title just stuck in my head. And it's a fantastic article talking about how nutrition affects our gut and microbiome DNA, like the genetic makeup within 48 hours. And that was so again, mind blowing. And I'm just so thankful to all the researchers doing this work because I think the more we dig, the, the just more important, we're gonna see how important our guts are to our individual personalized health. So this is awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Can without, you, oh, go ahead, no, no. I was
2: gonna say, without me going on a tangent, just to give an, an example of what you're talking about right here, like food and the microbiome, you can take the amino acid tryptophan, for example, so tryptophan coming in to the inside world is then worked upon by the gut bacteria and through a cascade breaks down into serotonin, which will then drive you know our perception and our mood and how we feel. But then that is further down regulated into melatonin, which is also going to drive how we sleep. So people are not sleeping and their mood is not good. And we, instead of like, asking them, what foods are you eating? Are you getting enough tryptophan in your diet, right? Do you have the bacteria to break it down? We start telling them to go on SSRIs and on pills. Well, an SSRI, you don't, you don't have an SSRI deficiency, but even if you did, you're not giving your system the food that it actually needs to even create the serotonin. So what are you trying to prevent reabsorption from? You don't even have enough in circulation to support your mood. So you can see how it's just not good enough to be at the superficial level anymore we we know too much to stay there
0: yeah i'm so glad you brought that up and not just with medications but i'm going to call out people in the functional world too like it's not enough to see an issue in a lab and give people a supplement for it and be like oh you're not sleeping here's melatonin like oh you're bloated here's a digestive enzyme like that that's really not fixing this, these underlying connecting pieces that we're talking about and having these deeper rooted conversations and educating everyone out there on, Hey, here's the tools you need to actually fix this on your own so that you're not stuck in this cycle of supplements and pills and cleanses and whatever the heck else you're doing. Like the education is just such a big piece of it, which I, I think you excel at. I mean, for those of you who are, are listening, Nicole and I are both like leaning towards our monitors more and more in this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I'm,
2: I'm just, I'm sitting over here trying not to laugh while you're talking, because I've, I feel like I preach this every single day. It's like, it's not good. You do not understand the system well enough. If you think that interpreting testing results in putting everybody on a supplement. What happens when you take that person off the supplement? If you can ever even get them off the supplement, it's going to come flooding right back. Supplements supplement the diet and the lifestyle. You need to understand the the physiology that's driving the problem. And then how do we heal that naturally? It's okay to use supplements, but it is not okay to only use supplements.
0: Yeah. Such a, such a good point. I, I feel like this is kind of related and it's something that I've really wanted to bring up, but I have to ask you about parasites while you're on this call, because much Mm -hmm. like nervous system regulation, everybody and their mother on social media is like, do a parasite cleanse, full moon parasite cleanse. And like, I I just got to know your opinion from someone who's so well educated on on gut health. Cause some of the things I see, I'm kind of just like, shaking my head in disbelief like people can't believe this right um not that parasites aren't real of course they are but Mm -hmm. i would love to know your thoughts on why is this topic trending uh how important are they and what's actually the best way to to consider them as part of this bigger microbiome
2: yeah okay well um we could probably do an episode I, just on this. I yeah, <laughs> I get asked this all of the time. Um, why do I think this has become part of a conversation? I think TikTok, honestly, because I was like inundated with questions about parasites eight months ago. And I was like, where is this coming from? Why is so many people asking me about parasites? Um, okay. Well, would you go to your PCP every month and ask for a round of antibiotics? No, no, right. It, and actually we've tried that just, you've got a sinus infection here going on an antibiotic, right. And while it temporary, it gave temporary relief. What happens when they stop it in about four weeks usually comes flooding right back. Right. But now they've got even more dysfunction because we've just set off a bomb and desiccated the microbiome. It's the same thing with blindly going through cleanses and antimicrobials or antiparasitics. They change the ecology of your microbiome. And we know that one round of antibiotic can take someone anywhere from two weeks to two years to recover from a single dose of an antibiotic. So just blindly doing these parasite cleanses, in my opinion, provides no benefit. And in fact, can actually leave you worse off in the long run because you start to change the balance. It's like any sort of ecosystem. I just got back from Costa Rica not too long ago. We, I went and I was walking through the rainforest and the tour guide said, don't touch anything. Everything works in such perfect balance and harmony here. And he used the example of the termites. Termites won't eat a tree that's alive, but as soon as a tree falls, termites then will come and feed on that wood to break it down. And that's the source of fuel for the termites, right? Everything lives in perfect balance and harmony. If you are giving your body what it needs from a nutrition standpoint, sleep, you're reducing your toxins, you're moving, you're getting sunlight, your vitamin D status is okay. Like all of these things that we know that we need for optimal functioning from a gut standpoint, immune standpoint, your body will work in perfect harmony and unison, and your commensal bacteria will outcompete. So even if something does come in the system and it makes it past the stomach acid, then you have a second line of defense where you have your commensals that can usually outcompete. The only time it becomes a problem where we're worried about somebody getting overgrown with parasites, it's the parasites are not really the problem. They're pointing to a much deeper issue that your defenses are not in place to be able to sustain these things coming into the system. So instead of putting yourself on berberine and wormwood and any other protocol that you're thinking about putting yourself on, which is only going to be detrimental long-term, and you're going to end up coming to see someone like me because you've caused so much dysfunction, you need to be asking yourself, is there something wrong with my stomach acid? And what could be reducing that? Is my pH gradient off? Are my commensals not there because I'm not getting enough dietary fiber? Because we know, and that would be a conversation for a whole nother day, but we know that people aren't even getting enough food to support the commensals that are actually producing the vitamins and the neurotransmitters and all of the things that help to keep us healthy. So without going down an extreme rabbit hole, I would urge extreme caution in blindly supplementing yourself because you could make things worse. If you want to actually have objective data, you need to order testing and understand your unique microbiome. you need to work with somebody who actually understands how to interpret and to sit down with you, listen to your health history, listen to your symptoms, and connect the dots for you. One of the arguments that you'll hear many practitioners say is that it's not accurate. It's not accurate, right? It's, it's a snapshot in time. Well, if you want to actually, like, if you want the objective data, you're right. Sometimes we're not releasing the ova, which are like the eggs from the parasite. And so sometimes it can be missed. You can do three consecutive samples for three days straight, like a stool sample day one, day two, and day three. And if those all three are negative for parasites and ova, I would not be going on any sort of parasite cleanse. Yeah, that is my take on it. (laughs)
1: Thank you so much for explaining that to us. Um, we always love to make sure our audience knows how to find you and we'll definitely have your links in the show notes, but can you just tell us where people can connect, reach out, learn a little bit more about you?
2: Yeah. I love Instagram. It's my favorite social platform. The only one that I'm on and my Instagram handle is at the gut health queen. And my website is theguthealthqueen.org. And
0: yes, I will make sure that you have the links to both of those. <laughs> and you, Jade puts out the best content uh, and it always looks so nice and pretty. you like very good branding, just... A little aesthetic. Um, Thank you. (laughs) So make sure you go follow her. We'll put the link to her Instagram, of course, in the show notes. Uh, Jade, this has been such a good conversation. I feel like you've been our first official pick her brain session where we've just like rapid fired questions at you (laughs) one after the other that people are just always asking us. So thank you for putting up with us. And so, you know, graciously jumping from topic to topic. Um, We do have one final question, though, that we ask all of our guests, um, which is, if you could have a piece of advice for a younger version of you, what would it be? Trust the process.
2: Yeah, trust trust the process and let it be. It'll all fall into place.
1: Mm, so good. So simple. Thank you. Thank you, Jade, for spending this time with us. We are so grateful to have had you on The Fem Factor, and we look forward to actually having you on again if you're up for it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much.
1: This podcast is for general information and educational purposes only. It should not be considered medical advice and or treatment. Although we are both doctors, we are not medical doctors or your medical doctor. What has been discussed should not take the place of your personal medical professional's advice, treatment, diagnosis, or care. If you love this
0: podcast as much as we do, please take the time to subscribe, share, rate, and review. And we'd love if you would follow us over on Instagram. Our handles are at and at drnicolemarcioni. Or you can just click on the links in our show notes.